You know, there's a unique thing at Christ Church, and I wasn't planning to say this, but it's it's always exciting and it's always good news. When you're going to preach, you're the guest preacher, you come often and sit up in the front row and you come in a few minutes before service, not the time I always get here, and uh, and you look around and you and it's empty. And you begin to think, oh my gosh, they knew I was the guest preacher. <laughs> and <laughs> then you walk up here and it's dark and you look up and the room's full. So thank you all for coming, even if you knew. But anyway, um, you know, last week, Pastor Brian shared exciting news about Grace Chapel's increase in attendance during Christmas weekend. I think they had close to 5,500 people. Well, not to play top that story, but Vicky and I were um, greeters on uh, uh, Christmas Eve here at Christ Church. And uh, I, I'd like to give a shout out this morning to Pastor John, especially, and all who made Christmas in our community um, not just a little bit brighter, but a way lot brighter through uh, Light Fest here at Christ Church. Um, and in a personal story, as greeters on Christmas, the first thing you're doing is, good morning, Merry Christmas, how are you? Nice to see you. Thanks for coming. And, and, and a lot of people you've never seen before. You don't know who they are, where they're from, because they're guests of so-and-so or friends or family or whatever. And I inquire, um, it's something I do. Where are you from? Why are you here? What's bringing you to visit Christ Church? Well, this year, there was something really exciting happened. And, uh, you know, the lights that we show at Christmas time, um, they're, they're a delight to many. But they're an also an invitation to come and, and hear the good news. And so... The first group of people that came in, and it was a large group. I think there were six, seven, you remember, maybe eight people. And they were all coming in. They were smiling and laughing. And I'm, I didn't know a soul. I, I said, uh, so, hi, what brings you to Christ Church this morning? And expecting this is my mother or my aunt or I'm home from school or whatever. And it was, no, we saw the lights and we're back for the service. And another couple came in. I said, hi. And then another another group of I'll, we'll just call them unknown origin. They came walking up, and uh, I said, good morning. So what brings you to Christ Church? Merry Christmas. And they said, oh, you know, mate, you know, we were at the Light Fest, and it was awesome. So we're back to see some more. And, and I thought, you know, we need to give ourselves, in a sense, a, 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 little, a round of applause because the numbers of people that put them up, take them down, serve coffee, come six, seven, eight nights, and and uh, and make Light Fest happen is huge, and it, it is a job. Um, and so, if you would just give yourselves a round of applause for what you did, yeah, Amen. Um, well, good morning again. But anyway, so it's a special pleasure and honor to be with you today. I must admit, when John invited me, um, before he explained what he shared with you, uh, uh, he said, you know, it might, you might be a good choice to speak about repentance. 
And my first thought was maybe that's not the best thing to be considered an expert in the field of, you know. Uh, I am glad he qualified that by saying, in fact, it was the role repentance plays in the ministry of the Nathan Project. Uh, I'm not totally sure, but I think that's for sure what he was saying. What I am sure of is this. Over the past 23 years, you know, when men have come to the Nathan Project, the central part of everything we do, helping them recover from addiction to porn and the harmful, most often sinful and compulsive behaviors that bring them to our ministry, we teach repentance. And we begin the process of discipleship. And from that experience and God's personal teaching from pastoral care, plus all I've learned from many of you here, I come to preach today. Um, Again, I'll mention that Brian introduced the new series series in Kingdom Come when God does something new with his message, Prepare the Way, last week. He taught from Mark 1, verses 1 to 14, which we are going to teach from again today. And he closed by sharing that he would revisit those verses this week, only the subject would be repentance. Um, He spoke about things like new cars being part of our lives, new phones, new clothes, new friends, all bringing something special, something valuable to our lives. And then how it was the same for the new year. The good news, we make resolutions and new promises to do things that will make our lives better. The bad news, and he means, and uh, 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 he, Brian, didn't mention this part, but I'll tell you at Hampshire Hills where Vicki and I work out, it means for at least the first few weeks of January, we can no longer get a locker, a bike, a machine, anything we want to use as the most popular new resolution seems to be hitting the gym. Um, by, by next week, we'll have our locker back. But anyway... Um, I digress a little. Um, What he also explained is the bad news, that most often we don't stick to the resolutions we make. And he referenced experts who tell us the reason we fail is not a lack of stick-to-itiveness or good reasoning, genuine intent or sincerity. Rather, we fail because we're not ready to make the changes we're promising. We fail because of a lack of preparation. That led the way to a sermon on the good news that when God does a new thing first, it is always a good thing. And second, he always, he, capital H, prepares the way. And third, God always points us towards Jesus. He shared that the theme for last fall in this year at Grace Chapel is new beginnings. Um, I must say I like the way a friend of mine has a new model other than new beginnings he shared with me this week when I was talking about this, and he was complaining about his struggles last year and how he looked forward to, to this year. His new motto was, break free from 23, open the door to 24, and lead the way to much, much more. And I can't get, out, get that out of my head, you know. Anyway, Pastor Brian then led us through the text in March, Mark chapter 1, sharing that God introduced the good news of Jesus Christ by sending John the baptizer to prepare the way and, and that God's new things are always, always successful and always good because of his profound timing and perfect preparation. Um, and no doubt that statement 
I, I know when I first thought about right, first wrote that, I thought, well, are they always successful? Are they always? And I thought back to a moment of, of um, Christmas morning. Um, we attended um, service at a church over uh, in Bedford. And, um, and, and to make that point, that pastor shared that God's timing and preparation was so good that in the year of his birth, only about 2% of the over 8 billion people in this world were alive. 2%, very small group of people. And, um, and, and he, was, he was born in a, a sparsely uh, populated small town, only a few spectators and a donkey, and, and then launched his ministry some 30 years later in a period of time where his target market, the Jewish people in Judea, were being persecuted, subjugated under Roman rule. In fact, um, he went so far as to compare what was happening then to what is occurring now in Gaza under Hamas. Brian did. A brutal time in the history of Israel. Yet today, almost 32% of the world identify as Christians. Think about that. That's a lot of people. And that number is growing exponentially in many parts of the world. Um, that's certainly the definition of success versus good timing and preparedness, and it's good news. Um, Brian also shared that he firmly believes that all that we experienced and persevered through from COVID, from political polarization around people, issues, governmental rules, um, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, the battle for human life, um, economic uncertainty, wars around the globe, all those things have prepared us for this coming year. It was pointed out that online church and hybrid models for all kinds of ministry were proof tested under the fire of necessity and now are a norm to everyday life. I know in our ministry, um, and that of Pure Desire, our, our significant partner of our ministry, um, I have kind of fought against them and their push for online groups um, as a first choice, thinking that men must or should come together in person, form a community face-to-face, -face, practice becoming truth-tellers and men of humility, unless it was impossible before joining together in a Zoom group. Then it was impossible. There were no other, there was no other way to meet. And online groups are now flourishing at a rate, boy, we never thought possible. Our ministry is growing by leaps and bounds. Um, how wrong I was about this area of growth. Um, and counseling, you know, it, it, it was not very available in New England. It's still a bit of a struggle. But now because of the availability online, something we were somewhat forced to do, um, it's available and more affordable anytime, anywhere with special care you might never have received before because, as they say, necessity is the mother of invention. Um, they closed, he closed last week with a challenge. Uh, it was up on the screen. It said, what new thing might the Lord want to do in you or through you this year? And if you think about it, that's also an invitation to admit where we are. You can't look back and ask what you want to do going forward without taking a little bit look at your own self. Possibly to repent, to turn away from sinful behaviors that have creeped into your life. You know, 
as we move towards God's new thing. And that's thus the title of today's message was, When God Does a New Thing, It Calls for Repentance. Um, so with that review in mind, let's open our Bibles or look at the screen and read the next five verses in the first chapter of Mark. Or I'll read them and you can just watch along with me. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth and Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. First things first about those verses. No, just in case you're thinking this, it's got to be the first thing that comes to mind. Jesus did not need, nor was he baptized, because he needed cleansing from sin. He was sinless. As John himself understood, you, and, and as John the baptizer, that is, understood, and you could hear very clearly in, in Matthew 3 and verses 13, 14, 15, if you want to check it out. But instead, Jesus was baptized in keeping with his entire mission on earth to do the will of the Father and to identify with us, with sinful man. One writer explained it by saying this. He said, Jesus didn't have to be baptized. He also didn't have to die on a cross in our place. He did both things for us in unity with fallen man. And this was confirmed by none other than God himself in verse 10, those verses. Uh, immediately upon Jesus coming out of the water, we hear the voice of God, the Father, speak from heaven. So everyone would know that Jesus was not just another man being baptized that day. He was, in fact, his son, and he was perfect. A voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, and he was perfect. With you, I am well pleased. And yet, he also, by being baptized, was able to identify with our sin and what we're going through and what we needed. Um, with these words, Jesus was set apart, yet he was a part of the new things about to come, the good news. We, on the other hand, as Mark said in verse 4 to 8, not only need to be baptized with water for the repentance of sins, but we will also, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Pretty cool. And that is where we begin our discussion of repentance. For me personally, I have and always will think of repentance as the centerpiece of three words most often referenced together that describe our coming to faith. That is confession, repentance, and forgiveness. And while confession is often by word, some might say easy to complete, uh, and forgiveness is promised by the Lord, it's not something we can create or earn. Rather, it is a special gift Repentance is an action, an action required of us. Um, I looked for some famous quotes, and there are so many on repentance. I think I hit the Google button and it came up and said there are 12,567,000 quotes you can choose from. Um, but C.S. Lewis, he said it like this, his description. Uh, what a great mind. He said, now repentance is no fun at all. 
It is something much harder than merely eating humble pie. It means unlearning all the self-conceit and self-will that we have been training ourselves into for thousands of years. It means undergoing a kind of death. In fact, it needs a good man to repent. And here's the catch. Only a bad person needs to repent. Only a good person can repent perfectly. The worse you are, the more you need it and the less you can do it. The only person who could do it perfectly would be a perfect person, and he would not need it. Wise man. Another wise pastor teacher, great sermon renowned, Charles Spurgeon, he added to that a thought about the length and the repetitive nature of repentance with these words. He said, sincere repentance is continual. Believers repent until their dying day. This dropping well is not intermittent. Of more recent times, late Tim Keller, he defined repentance in words I found to be quite familiar and very easy to re relate to. Um, Pastor Tim said, repentance is like antiseptic. You pour antiseptic onto a wound, and at first it stings, then it heals. I like that. I will always remember that. But the best, most accurate, and possibly most important word on repentance I ever heard uh, came from my wife and partner in ministry, from Vicki. When discussing, I think it was probably last summer, men in our addiction recovery and discipleship groups um, who were looking to do something, anything, hopefully the right thing, to somehow begin the arduous process of regaining trust from their spouse, she said, and this is not a perfect quote, I promise you, hon, I didn't write it down, but I did remember. She said, after 20-plus years of leading groups of wives two and three times a year, hundreds of counseling hours, hundreds of more times of me saying the men are some really sincere, honey, repentance can be described with one word, humility. Genuine repentance that leads to trust, trust that is given by the teardrop and lost by the bucketful, happens when men's humble behavior speaks louder than their words. Their confessions must, of course, always express humility. And their wives are almost always willing to forgive. I, I always think that's awesome. And in fact, in my experience, most Christian wives want nothing more than to forgive. But humility must be visible, delivered in deeds done repeatedly by cherishing her in word and expressing love in action by honoring her persons. Repentance is humility. When Pastor John offered help in preparation of this sermon, he had a couple suggestions. And, and one was that this might be a great time to, to pull a story from... Um, from out of, um, gosh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of men who have been a part of the ministry over the years. Um, and I thought of several. But in prayer, um, God showed me a prayer from the book of Psalms, um, a prayer of repentance written by King David uh, after his adultery with Bathsheba, the murder of her husband, and being called out by the, Nathan, the prophet Nathan. Um, the prophet whom, by the way, gave us the Nathan Project. Um, these are a sample of his words, a few of the verses from Psalm 51 from the New King James. 
he said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and not, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Instead, restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit, that I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. David made no excuses. He did not blame, he did not blame Bathsheba or his circumstance. He owned his behavior. He didn't defend or deflect, minimize or rationalize. He trusted the Lord for his mercy, asking only to be cleansed. His humble words, against you and you only have I sinned, have echoed over the ages, teaching us what it means to be a man after God's own heart. And David even explains why he desires this. Not so he can feel better, no. So he can be reconciled with God, to some degree, yes. But most importantly, his words are other-focused. And the New Living Translation, verses 12 and 13, reads like this. It says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you, that I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Rebels like you and me. King David's words continue to teach to this day. He turns from his sin in sackcloth and ashes. He mourns the loss of his son, a terrible consequence of his sinful behavior. He admits his error and desires to move forward. But he is motivated by the opportunity to teach God's ways to others who rebel that they, like him, could return. Was he perfect? No. He would sin again and repent again. His family would struggle. But his repentance would be done through the Spirit from above in humility. In verse 17, King David acknowledges that, saying, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Humility is the essence of repentance. Returning to the title and to the, the title and the scripture of today's message, when God does a new thing, it calls for repentance. In the verses 9 to 13, Mark described the preparation for a new thing, including Jesus himself being prepared to go and preach the good news, when in fact he was the new thing. He was the good news. And the people who would choose to accept him as Savior and Lord, who would follow him, needed to repent as preparation, just as we do when we come to him and confess, repent, and receive forgiveness because of his death and resurrection. 
At the same time, Jesus was baptized with them. Then tempted by Satan for 40 days in the desert. So, as I shared earlier, he was able, Jesus was able to fully identify with us. Just as we are prepared to know him and to receive the Holy Spirit through confession and repentance and receive his forgiveness, Jesus was tempted and knows exactly what we are experiencing in our lives. When we go to him, we can go confidently, knowing that this world filled with temptation from an unseen enemy can be overcome. Next week, we're going to continue teaching from the same passage, sharing that when God does a new thing, it always comes with a life-changing message. And the life-changing message this week in verses 14 and 15 announces... After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. You know, I'm certain Jesus didn't say it quite like that. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. It doesn't get any simpler than that. To prepare for that message for next week, I'd like to close with a return to the challenge we were given last Sunday. To pray and ask the Lord, what was the what new thing might the Lord want to do in or through me this year? It was left in large letters on the screen for over a minute last week while Pastor Brian closed in prayer. Um, I can tell you I prayed, and he answered. God made it clear to me that it was his will that I do a new thing better than I've ever done before in the coming year. And that is a better job of pouring into others, especially other leaders. My learnings, applications of scripture to our work, whatever wisdom he has given me in 25 years of leading men, building groups, living life with Vicki, um, the humblest partner and wife a man could have, so that the ministry of the Nathan Project can move forward with or without me. I did have a question about that part. Didn't ask. Um, And true to the the teaching, when God does a new thing, it calls for repentance. I was humbled by circumstance of my own last Monday and Tuesday that brought me to my knees, making it almost impossible to prepare to preach without walking through a time of my own repentance. God is not one to be trifled with. The adage is true. With God, be careful what you ask for. So in closing, did you ask this week what he said last week to do? What new thing might the Lord want to do in or through me this year? Just in case, whether you did or didn't, if you know him as Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask if you'd pray for me in a minute asking for that humble and repentant heart we spoke of in today's message. And if you don't know him, but would like to, pray that today is the day he comes into your heart. So we'll pray, and then, is John out there, Owen? Somewhere? John, could you, could you play that piano for, uh, the, uh, under me for just a minute? When we get to the end, for about a minute, we'll be silent while you play. Um, so I'll pray 
that all of us would pray. We could all pray together and then about a minute of quiet and then I'll give you an amen and then we'll wrap up. Um, So let's pray. Let's put our heads down. Lord, thank you for your perfect plan for my life. No matter how it looks to me, Lord, I trust that you are moving. You are shaping me for, for my plan. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come to you and repent over and over again. As I continue to work at knowing you better. Whatever new thing you want to do in or through me, Lord, please show me and then guide me. And Lord, if there's someone here today who doesn't know you, would you nudge them to pray along with me these simple words of confession? Lord Jesus, thank you for showing me how much I need you. And for dying on the cross for me. Please forgive me for all my failures and sins. Make me clean and help me start fresh with you. I now receive you into my life as my Lord and Savior. Help me serve you with all my heart. Father God in heaven, thank you so much for everything you've done for us. For creating this space where we can come and pray. Come to know you better. Ask for your help. It's in the precious name of your son Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.